You're listening to Hope Gateway Conversations, discussions and presentations of interest to the Hope Gateway community. Inspired by the words of Micah 6.8, our mission is to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Four faith communities, all former United Methodist, are sharing a common journey. We're committed to being open to something bigger happening among us. Hope Gateway, Tuttle Road, and Chebeg Island, all in Maine, and Grandview in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, are partners in the Movement for Inclusive Methodists, one being shaped by the leading of God's Spirit and a future committed to being open to all persons. We have found an affinity with one another, and I think there will be other people, other communities that find affinity with us that are on a similar journey. The four congregations are moving away from a denominational tie with a painful past to something inspiring, filled with a holy energy. We also have a shared affinity, just in our ways of being, what we've prioritized as churches, our expansive views of what it means to be inclusive. One expression of the new thing that is happening in the Movement for Inclusive Methodists is the ordination of Liz Fulmer on April 30th at Grandview in Lancaster. Sarah Ewing Merrill, lead pastor of Hope Gateway in Portland, Maine, has been a mentor for Liz Fulmer as the Lancaster Theological Seminary and Berkeley College of Music graduate responded to the calling to ministry that has been bubbling up in me and nudging me, as she puts it. Sarah and Liz join me for this episode of Hope Gateway Conversations and talk about how their congregations are living into this new Pentecost movement, the path that Liz is walking towards her ordination, and the faithful future of the Movement for Inclusive Methodists. I'm Dr. Art McClanahan. Four churches are part of a movement for inclusive Methodists. Talk a little bit about how that all came about. Well... I guess it started for me, from my perspective, as the pastor of Hope Gateway, it started with Linda Brewster, who's the pastor of Tuttle Road Community Church, inviting us in April of 2019 to gather, to imagine something new and a new movement of Methodists, actually. Back then, Hope Gateway has been journeying with Tuttle Road and Shabig Island Church, and in the beginning, Peaks Island Church, through our journey of disaffiliation, and um, formed a movement (laughs) together. We didn't call it that, but that's what it was. After we had disaffiliated, we got this email, and I remember receiving it. Well, Andrea happened to be away. Andrea is the lead pastor at Grandview, and I was just so thrilled to read it because it felt like somebody sending out just a um, like a message in a bottle, you know, here we are kind of on these open seas looking for something to hold on to. And here comes this message of, hey, why don't we have some conversation? I think our churches have some similarities and we're actually in this discernment process and we've seen what you've done and would like to have conversation. So from that, we had our first meeting and we invited the clergy and laity from the congregations to to come together and it just kind of quickly felt like at least for me like we had known each other or there had been some sort of kinship um 
And then as we actually did begin to know each other, that was just sort of confirmed in that process. But a lot of our, our belief system and a lot of our experiences struggling within the denomination had been similar. And so that brought us together and we found out we have even more in common than that. So Liz, talk a little bit about the Grandview journey. You disaffiliated in 2020. Mm -hmm. And if I remember right, there was a a very substantial portion of the congregation that said, yes, we want to move in a different direction than what we've been a part of for the previous 75 years. Yeah, so this this journey begins decades ago. Um, but then I guess most recently in 2014, we had taken our vote to become open and affirming after doing a lot of the relational work necessary to hold that kind of vote and not to cause harm in the process. Um, so we held that vote in 2014 and 97% positive to become affirming. And we had hope that the general conferences would shift the course of the church toward a more inclusive path. And Andrea and I went to the special session in 2019 and were just, I mean, it was very apparent from the beginning of that conference that things were not going to go well. And we just felt awful. Um, and grieved with a lot of people there. So that solidarity, I remember being very important. But anyway, um, on the plane back, Andrea drafted a letter about Grandview continuing to be Grandview, continuing to perform uh, same-sex marriages, continuing to be a hospitable place to anybody coming in, continuing to empower queer leadership, continuing to, to live our inclusive witness and that document became sort of the first of many statements about Grandview kind of forging its own path. But it wasn't until a council meeting when the idea of disaffiliation came on the table. And I unfortunately wasn't in this meeting, but the way it's told almost sounds like, um, like the Pentecost story where suddenly all these, these ideas, these tongues of fire of like sparks of, of idea are aligning and, and happening throughout this room. And when they came out of that meeting, I did happen to be there for that. And just the energy was electric mm -hmm. and felt holy. And we needed something to feel holy mm -hmm. after um, being just really hurt by, by the denomination. And so we began to have lots of conversations with church members and we held various sorts of meetings and in small group and in full group, we took a series of votes and each of those votes um, were over 90% positive that this is the right path for us to pursue. So actually we, we officially became a freestanding congregation, not in 2020, but in 2021 on Easter, on Easter Sunday, that was uh, April 1st, and that was our birthday. Sarah, there's some common points in that journey with Hope Gateway mm -hmm. and the, the main family, so to speak. Yeah. For sure. It definitely, <clears throat> I really love this Pentecost moment and the, the flames of imagination being lit on our heads. And I think that that happens in, in community. It happened, you know, in the Hope Gateway community internally, but also happened with our relationships with the other churches. And, and I think it's, it's a remarkable thing to imagine a future that is distinctly different than your past. And it's a gift that we've all been living. That's really glorious and beautiful. 
How has the common experience or parallel experiences anyway with Grandview and the congregations in Maine been strengthening as you all have stepped out in a new direction and an uncharted direction? Well, in our conversations, as we would be sharing updates, what new thing were we figuring out? What new pain or new joy? It was really wonderful to have people that understood like, oh yeah, we've been through that. Oh man, that was the worst. Yes. Wasn't that a fun time? So just people to relate with, because it really, prior to connecting with these three churches, we felt isolated. And so to have partners and partners who understood it and had a similar sense of humor about it and a playfulness, which I think you need to have anytime we're talking about imagination and also like grief, there needs to be some sort of levity sometimes at least, or else the energy can, can go by the wayside. So our parallel journeys and our conversations through them, I think help to sustain that energy and just to give us conversation partners. I don't know, Siri, I see you nodding. Yeah, I think, I think all of that is really true. And I think we also beyond the experience, beyond the shared experience, we also have a shared affinity just in our ways of being, what we've prioritized as churches, our expansive views of what it means to be inclusive. Like we all disaffiliated around the, I mean, we, but legally we had to disaffiliate around the idea of LGBTQ inclusion. And we're all very passionate about that and very against the stance of the United Methodist Church. But that's not where it ends. <laughs> we really imagine all of us, you know, all of our churches have been engaged in anti-racism conversations over the past years, you know, as has our society, but we've been something we've really engaged. And I think we have a common framework for not thinking that we've arrived. <laughs> like, even though we've all done this pretty remarkable thing and we're fairly proud of ourselves <laughs> for it, we also are pretty clear that this is, this isn't the awesomest thing that's ever <laughs> happened, you know, in churches that, and that we have a lot to learn and that actually we have a lot to unlearn because we all recognize that there are gifts that we are taking with us from our heritage, but there's also a lot of baggage. Mm -hmm. And so when we're trying to reimagine, sometimes we, we see, we see ourselves or we see each other tripping up, like, you know, that's, that's the way we had to do it before, but we don't have to do it that way anymore because we're not a part of a system that requires us to do it that way. We can do it differently. And we'd actually don't believe in the idea that makes a, that caused that system to have to do it that way. Like we don't believe that bishops have to ordain individuals. So, so we can imagine, imagine new things. Which actually that's not a new thing. I mean, John Wesley also imagined <laughs> that bishops did not have to ordain people. Yes, just a note. <laughs> that is so true. Back to the Christmas organizing conference and and all of those early days of the Methodist movement mm -hmm. on this side of the Atlantic. It sounds to me that while disaffiliation had a direct tie to the pain of the Special General Conference in St. Louis in 2019, it also is a movement towards health and wholeness and joy and positive creative energy leading to um, the scriptural thought, behold, I'm doing a new thing. One of the new things that you've just alluded to comes 
this Saturday, and most especially is for you. Talk about together what the ordination journey has like, because I know it has been like, because I know you and Sarah have been partners in this recent chapter of the journey, both uh, a little bit of a historic uh, timeline, perhaps, and also um, the spiritual emotional part of it for the two of you. Well, I feel like most people that listen to this podcast will have some understanding of who Sarah is and will know Sarah. And so I just want to speak specifically, first of all, to working with Sarah and what a gift that's been for me. Because so much of this journey has been focused on what I've written and what have I've had to say or to think about and to show. But like, I am where I am now in large part because of a lot of people and their witness in my life. And Sarah's is tremendous. So she's a rock star, stellar human being. And I'm super grateful. <laughs> prior to Sarah, prior to this movement of inclusive Methodists, you know, ministry and uh, calling to ministry has been bubbling in me that I, in a way that I, I didn't know it at the time, but look back and can see all those, those moments where God was sort of nudging. And I kept running into this, especially in the last seven years working at Grandview, first informally, then very part-time, and then over time, just more and more. And so my, my ordination journey begins with lots of conversations, with questions, wondering, what am I called to this? And what does that even mean? And what could ministry look like? And what does my musical background have to offer to this? And lots of doubt, lots of curiosity, I think lots of faithfulness, I hope. And I went to seminary, began seminary in 2017, thinking that I might start the ordination process officially after seminary, thinking that it would just be too much to do all that writing and theological thinking while I'm already doing that in a different you know, academic setting. And I also had hoped, again, that the denomination would change its policy and open up a pathway for me to be ordained. But 2019 proved that wrong. And so that question of ordination was brought up a lot by various members of the church, um, retired and active clergy who attend. And their questions led me to really consider the voice I was listening to. Because I think my the thought that I would hold off on starting that journey was actually um, something to defend my myself. It was a, a fear-based decision. But there continued, these people, their continued faith in me made me confront that kind of head, head first. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll skip ahead a little bit. We began having conversations with this group of, this unnamed group at the time, but having conversations about what a process could look like. And we thought, you know, there's a lot of very good stuff built into the Methodist system in that process. So why don't we retain that, keep some of that shape and just be critical about those things that might act as barriers or that seem redundant or like hoops to jump through that aren't actually beneficial or necessary. As Andrea would say at Grandview, we've hopefully improved upon the ordination process. And what I have done is written a lot of theological answers to these historic questions and demonstrated my ability to preach and to teach and to be in pastoral ministry and offer care. Yeah, I don't know, Sarah, if you want to jump in. Not too far into our relationship with one another. Ordination is something that's that we've all been unlearning what we used to think about it. And I like Melissa and Linda are both local pastors. And so they're not, they haven't ever been ordained. And, and that's mostly because of what ordination looked like in the United Methodist Church. And so we're all sort of like, 
what is ordination and, and who gets to do it and when and why and what does it give you? And so I was um, asked to be a part of the shepherding team that walked with Liz through the, the process, asked the questions, had the conversations, but in a real relational manner and in an ongoing conversation over several months. But I was, they really wanted this Andrea, I guess, like should say really wanted to have a court, have a mentor from outside of Grandview, somebody that, you know, Liz is already in relationship and has already been learned a lot, like she said, from many wonderful people, but that so that the mentor relationship would be a new thing, a new, um, a new input, a new conversation partner and thought partner with her. And it was such a gift to me. I don't, I don't have a lot of opportunities to, in my current stage of ministry and life to, to talk deeply with people about theological concepts in, in a not totally life relational way. It was just really fun <laughs> to talk to Liz about all of these things. So we met, I don't know, four or five times and went over the stuff that went, talked about the stuff before she wrote it, talked the stuff about the stuff while she was writing it, talked about things after she was writing it, decided some of the questions, but like she, she and I decided some of the questions were bad questions. So, so we shouldn't ask that again to anybody, you know, we're in a process We and one of the empowering things of this system, this thing that we're creating is that everything's an experiment. So we're not setting a standard We're we don't have to treat the next person in exactly the same way that we treated Liz, because we're, we're just experimenting. We're just figuring this out, taking the next steps. To talk about the journey. And Liz, I want to cycle back to you for a second. Did you, did you find the journey one of discovery or um, some new insights as you did some writing and reflecting and talking with Sarah and, and talking with a group of people, the larger group of people who, who clearly, from my estimation, took it totally seriously and you know the depth and sincerity to which they devoted themselves to the questions that they asked says very clearly this is not just something that we're going to slapdash do because we're a new thing and and we just decide we can ordain anybody because we want to and that's the way it is yeah i'm i'm glad that that comes across because i you wouldn't know this about me but i am a rigid rule follower and the idea of anything coming without working for it or following a certain rule to achieve it makes my skin kind of crawl a little bit. So it was really important for me that this process not be put together thoughtlessly or, well, we know this is going to happen. So let's just, you know, rush through, but like, let's really take our time and develop a system that doesn't just evaluate, but nurtures and walks with and helps to do as you had asked in the question, helps the candidate to discover new insights and learnings in that process. We've used the word relationship a lot in the conversation, and that really has been central to what I think is making all of this work. The relationship aspect of this has not been lost and has been the, the driving feature. And so while thinking through questions of Jesus's kingship or thinking about concepts like regeneration and sanctification to be able to talk in a space that I know I am free to explore, free to question and wonder and push back and change my mind in 
uh, with somebody who isn't just sitting there judging, but is trying truly to work with me in that process. I, I've just realized, especially in learning about past ordination cycles for other people, what a gift it has been to, to be in a situation that the evaluatory aspects aren't, that's not the primary thing. You need to be able to see that somebody can produce good work or you know, ministerial fruits, but, but to do that, coming from a place of relationship and love and drawing people to their greatest potential. That's been really, really huge. So absolutely new insights because I'm hearing different ideas from someone I, I didn't know all that well, and I'm still learning about. So she's able to articulate things in a way that have just like enriched my own understanding and changed it and, and expanded it. So the, the very short answer to your question is yes. <laughs> Having the opportunity to rise to your highest potential is, is a great gift. And that often happens in one-on-one -on -one conversations where there's a lot of trust. And it takes a while to develop that trust level. Sarah, as you began the journey with Liz, how did you get to the point where you two could have those kind of in-depth theological conversations that uh, you're hungry to have and maybe you don't have the opportunity to have on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis? Well, I think we start started out with a fairly large, like Liz and I met in a format with a lot of people on a screen mm -hmm. <laughs> and a lot of people invited to that conversation who didn't show up or who maybe showed up for our first meeting or, you know, like we, but I think part of the reason that we're actually still doing this thing, whatever it is, or forming or imagining um, this thing together is because I was like, oh, I actually like Liz. Like I'd actually like to talk like when she talks, I think, Oh yeah. Like I agree with that. And the same with, um, Andrea, the same with Jane and, and I, you know, and I already knew that about Gloria from Chabig and Melissa and Linda and other people who have been on the journey earlier with us. I think we started building trust before we had a one-on-one -on -one relationship, but you know, then you like follow somebody on social media and you're like, Oh yeah, they're, they're actually a decent, you know, you see a different side of um, each other that way. And I think just every conversation builds on the next one. Mm -hmm. And I, in this space where we're navigating and negotiating what we hold in common and what we are on, what we're questioning, but we don't yet know what we what our new thinking is about it. It's been a really fruitful space for me personally. And in the people in that conversation, I feel like we've learned a lot about each other because when you're, you're not talking about like a book that you've discussed or you're like, what, what is life? What is church? Who are we going to be? What is the relationship that we have with one another? It, it goes pretty deep, pretty quickly, or it's going to fizzle out. Can I jump in there too? Because there's one particular moment that stands out when I was like, oh, this is going to be good. We were maybe having our second or third larger group meeting and we didn't have any agenda, like any bullet pointed thing to talk about. I was sort of haphazardly the facilitator maybe of conversation, but there really was no, it was very amorphous. There was a session then when we thought maybe let's plan something. We had more of that stricter agenda lined up and Sarah stopped in the middle of it and was like, you know what? I just think like, 
we're putting the cart ahead of the horse. Like we're, this is not, we're getting like too in the weeds of this right now. And we're not there yet. Well, you did that. Suddenly I was like, oh my gosh, everything's going to fall apart. (laughs) Sarah thinks it's terrible. (laughs) It amazed me, A, your bravery and like voicing what I think other people felt too. And I felt too, kind of saying, no, let's stop for a second. Like insisting that relationship be the thing that we organize around, at least for right now, while we're still learning each other. Um, that we kept talking. It wasn't a parting of ways. It was sort of like a, let's come together better. I think back to that moment as being just really, like, I don't know what would have happened if you hadn't done that, honestly. Yeah, I think we, I I remember that moment too. And I do, I would say it was a brave moment in my life, but it was also, if this is going to be something that I actually want to be a part of, first we need to, because I think what I said was, I don't even know, I don't know you all. And I have to know you before we're going to name ourselves or, and I don't know you people, so we're not getting married yet. Like, (laughs) and now I feel like I'm going to a family reunion that with people I haven't met this weekend. So it's a, yeah, I think it was a urging all of us to. Yeah. Very brave. And I'm grateful that you did that and admire that and hope that I am as brave to do that someday. (laughs) I do want to ask one last question then, based on that bravery, what's ahead for this movement of inclusive Methodists? I think we don't know. We don't know, but I can imagine what I, or what I hope maybe, like ultimately I hope that the relationships continue. And I think when you have good relationships and people that enjoy working through things together, that's just not that we're trying to suddenly evangelize and grow. But I think that there's an energy and a sort of magnetism in that. Like I can imagine people attending the ordination this, you know, the Saturday and seeing like, wow, like this is a really joyful, beautiful thing. I, I want to be involved somehow. So I, I think that that happens organically when there is that genuine, sincere expression of joy and um, like faithfulness. But so that's the, in the most immediate sense, I imagine just people being inspired by it. Cause I think honestly, it's an inspiring thing. Yeah, I would say, I would say that too. I also would say, I think we're committed to being open to something bigger happening among us. And I think we do want to make a way for other candidates, but we don't really know exactly what that, you know, we're not promising guaranteed appointment. That's, that's not, that's not in the ball of wax. We have found an affinity with one another. And I think there will be other people, other communities that find affinity with us that are on a similar journey, have left the United Methodist Church and are looking, aren't, don't really want to be, join another denomination and also don't want to just be out on their own. And I think that that is a safe place to land for us and it doesn't restrain us. It doesn't compel, it doesn't demand anything of us, but it invites us to be more than we are. I think that's a real gift. Inviting us to be more than we are indeed is a gift. And it sounds like the journey of communities, and it sounds like the journey that takes another step come Saturday, Mm. both attest to that. So Liz and Sarah, thank you so much for these moments together to talk about Grandview and the kinfolk in Maine and how we are responding. Thanks so much. Thank you, Art. Thanks. Thanks, Liz. Yeah, thank you.
To learn more about Hope Gateway in Portland, Maine, please visit www.hopegateway.com. Thank you.